Welcome to Mental Recess, the thoughts and theories of a couple misfits, outliers, and generation wires. I am Nia. And I am Too Long, your psychotherapist. And we are here to fuck shit up. That's right. I'm <laughs> just playing. <laughs> just playing. She wants to make my editing life so much harder. <laughs> oh, just kidding. But... So today, well, by the time you all have heard this recording, we'll be about three weeks or so after our new president has been elected. Um, today was the announcement that President Joe Biden is our new president. And so I suspect the next few weeks will be a little funky with tons of allegations of cheating and XYZ and, you know, the mudslinging that our government does. So we're hoping that uh, this episode will give you a little reprieve. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and speaking of reprieve, last week you had a little bit of reprieve as well, and tell me that story. Oh, yeah. So last weekend, um, my girlfriend and I went down to Pismo Beach, Shell Beach, uh, San Luis Obispo, and Avila Beach. So we got to hit up all the beaches and have a good time. It was super fun. We had a blast. And when we were in Pismo, we were walking around. We went on the boardwalk, which is absolutely stunning. Um, have you ever been to the Pismo boardwalk? I have not. And what's really interesting is my younger brother went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. <gasps> what? But the only time I ever made it down there was his graduation. Dude. Never really traveled elsewhere. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, you missed out. I did. And you know what? Now that I look back at it, like, I don't think I lived enough in my 20s. Yeah. yeah. And so one thing I do differently is, yeah, go and live life, travel more, see more, and I think take more risk. I wasn't uh, huge on risk taking. I'm a very cautious Mm -hmm. person by nature. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. It's funny. If I hadn't have been... If I hadn't have gone through such a crazy marriage, I would have lived exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. I think we would have probably have very mirroring 20s because mm-hmm. if it weren't for the craziness of the marriage and, and what I experienced shortly after that really opened my world up, yeah. I would have been very, very conservative in my 20s too. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, not a risk taker. So I think conservativeness for me came from a lot of it was also financial. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, going to... Um, undergrad and then graduate school and you know not really working or there was work that I did in ABA in that kind of world but you know there's not enough to like travel and do all these like big things that I wanted yeah. to do yeah but one thing I do recall doing was like, like at least once every quarter I took a weekend trip somewhere whether it was like hiking place or camping or some short trips like to LA or something like that and you know that felt really nourishing for me but it was very very conservative very um kind of you know I admit Mm -hmm. I'm such a homebody yeah love being at home yeah love being in the comfort of like weighted blankets yes (laughs) (laughs) weighted blankets and lit candles yes and a good Netflix show I love it (laughs) That's so funny. All right, well, your 30s then should see you back down to San Luis Obispo uh, to enjoy everything that it has to offer because it was incredible. It's so interesting you said that because me and a good friend of mine, we were planning to go to, I believe it's called the Gingerbread House, which is down there. And and like the Madonna Inn, I believe, up north, it's 
each room is themed and has a different thing. Yes, I know it's a silly name, Gingerbread House, but it's it's themed rooms. It's it'll be a different experience than staying in a like you know regular hotel, which yeah, I love love my Four Seasons, love yeah. my you know one hotels, mm-hmm. but it'll be it'll be an interesting experience. So maybe it will take me down there soon. There you go. Yeah, go do it. It was so fun. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun. So anyway, so we're so we're in Pismo. And we were getting ready to leave and we're walking to the car and we happened to be parked not too far from this like singular building, the little house that was, uh, it was advertising uh, palm reading and psychic (laughs) work. And so what was the advertising on the outside? How did you know? It's like the hand with the eye in the middle of the hand. I can see your hand. (laughs) Right? So the only thing missing was like a crystal ball. So we were like... Was it decorated like that? Actually, the interior, yes. Mm -hmm. It was so cool. So we're like, let's go. Like, we expected nothing at all. Okay, so I have this cliche image of like Mm -hmm. a table with a crystal ball Mm -hmm. and the heavy velvet drapes and it's dark inside. Yes, yes. And it's like a really bohemian chic dressed woman. No, that's not what it looked like. Okay. It looked like The Office. No, it was... um, The Office. (laughs) (laughs) Michael was there and everything. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, it it was to a degree. So like when you walk in... What I actually really loved, truthfully, is I was like, oh, I would do my house like this. It was very peaceful and serene. It felt, oh, you know what? Best way to describe it was like going to a spa. Oh. Yeah, it was like going into a spa. There there were stones and soft, light-colored furniture. Um, Everything was extremely clean and immaculate. Um, There were drapes, (laughs) but they weren't, they weren't, you know, ruby colored, you know, velvet drapes, but they, I think it was just like white and sheer or something Mm -hmm. covering a door. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it was a small little room, you know? And so it's $10 to read one palm. And then of course, you know, $20 total to read both palms. Mm -hmm. And, um, I opted to just do the one palm and I went first because you could only have one person in at a time, I think due to COVID or something. Okay. And so I go first. And so she like reads my palm and she tells me that my lifeline is long, which is great. Um, but she said my strongest line was my heart line. Mm-hmm. And she said that I, because my heart line was so strong from what she was seeing, that my I had the, the greatest capacity to love and also, my greatest strength was what I would do for love. And so, she talked about my loyalty and um, how much I would sacrifice. And she, so, she said, you know, I, I, I believe that you were in a relationship where there was a lot of sacrifice, uh, more give on your part than there was receiving and I'm like, yes, you know, in my mind. And she goes, but you're in a healthy relationship now. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is, that's cool. You know, you're, you're definitely on point about it. Yeah. So it was really neat. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, it could be vague and everybody could apply it to their lives. Cause sometimes it's not extremely specific, but, yeah. um, it was fun. It was more fun than anything. Yeah. So in psychology, there was, I believe a psychologist who, 
believe that he can teach animals how mm-hmm. to think like, you know, humans mm-hmm. uh, as well. And I believe the horse's name was Hans. <laughs> I believe he's trying to teach Hans horse. That's <laughs> cute. I believe he's trying to teach him how to do math calculations, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like holding up cards, for instance, like two plus two equals four, and the horse needed to stop that many number of times to show that he understood, even though he didn't have, you know, spoken language that you and I. Mm-hmm. However, the crowds, based on their oohs and ahs as he got closer to it, mm-hmm. you know, he knew when to stop based on the crowd's uh, expression, right? Mm-hmm. And then he was, you know, given a carrot or his treat. So as you're sitting with this palm reader, mm-hmm. were you kind of like, your eyes were twinkling, kind of nodding your head to mm-hmm. make them feel like, oh, okay, I'm on the right path, let me go? Or were you feeling like you were pretty neutral about it? Yeah, so funny that you asked that. Um, one of the things I learned a little bit just from being around law enforcement and, and um, people who do interviews for investigative purposes body language and how you respond and what you say and whatnot is a huge part of communication right so I didn't so I was aware of that they didn't want her I didn't want to give her any information I wanted her and also because this is something that like you know I told you last time we met this is something that I'm kind of looking into something that I'm looking at and trying to see if there's any truth to it and so I'm like I don't want to give it away so I didn't actually I just looked her dead in the eyes and I was super stoic and if she asked me a question I would answer but if if she didn't ask me any questions I just kept looking at her and so uh it was it was interesting it didn't shake her up any (laughs) she didn't seem to get nervous or okay you know or derail or anything it was interesting because she was really on a roll with what she was telling me about whatever she was getting from my hand. She was talking so fast, like she, like super fast. And so, so that's actually, I actually didn't have a whole lot of time to give her any information because she was just kind of going off on her perceptions from what she was reading from my hand. So it was really interesting. And she never really slowed her pace, you know, like she, she never seemed... Um, not confident in what she was saying. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Do you believe um, she was like some sort of clair, uh, like a clairvoyant or whatever it is? Do you generally mm-hmm. believe that or what was your impression? I didn't feel like I was being defrauded. I, okay. Yeah, I didn't feel like that. Um, you know, when I didn't feel that way, but I also didn't know to what extent her abilities went but I definitely didn't feel like I was sitting there reading a a horoscope from a magazine you know (laughs) which is like such bullshit um you mentioned you went with a friend did she corroborate in this as well yeah so she she actually enjoyed her her reading as well um there was something I I won't share it just because it was more personal for her but um something that the the psychic or whatever brought up that was extremely relevant. Like, one of the very topics that we had been talking about the whole weekend, that psychic brought that exact topic up to her and reinforced it with her. So we were like, oh, you know, when she got back outside and told me about it, I was like, oh, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. So, and she used, the psychic used key words 
um, that were right on. I mean, wow. right on with what we had been talking about that weekend. So yeah, it was it was really cool. Yeah, and that it feels was so cool. affirming too. Totally, mm-hmm. totally, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, it was good. It was all positive and kind of in the name of, of light and love and encouragement. And um, yeah, it was awesome. So it's fun. I've seen palm readers around and I think I'm hesitant because sometimes I don't want to know my future. Yeah. In the hopes of like that self-fulfilling prophecy. Because like, okay, well, now I know maybe I should, I'll make decisions differently. Or right. there's certain things that maybe I'll know and it'll make me think differently about Mm -hmm. um, how I feel or what I need to do. Yeah. And so there's a part of me that's hesitant. But in our culture during New Year's, it's like almost like picking out your fortune. Mm -hmm. But there's all these numbers on on each stick, right? Maybe it's like numbered 1 through 50, for instance. Mm -hmm. And you'll let your incense, you know, for the altar or whatever it is, and then you'll take this this jar with all of this um these sticks in it and you'll shake it until one falls out right sometimes multiples do but ideally it's just one and you take it and go and get your like piece of paper that has your fortune for the entire year Hmm. and it is something that my mom does even if i don't have time to go to like a temple or do my prayers she picks it up for me every year (laughs) She's, she's like, I need to know if my children are going to have a good year or not. Aww. But I really think my mom does it to know I'm going to get married or not. She, oh, that's hilarious. Because she doesn't pick it up for everybody. It's just the, the three oldest children right that's now. That's so funny. She is really concerned about the fruit of your loins. <laughs> 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 Which I can understand. I'm concerned about the fruits of my friend's loins, too, but she is really concerned. I just want her to think that I'm healthy. You know, right? I have a good year. That, that's of no concern oh to me. Oh, my God. That's so funny. But that's, like, kind of her version of, of fortune telling, you know? Yeah. It's like, I, I need to know. Maybe it'll give me answers because my children aren't telling me anything. That's so funny. <laughs> I love that. It's funny, there's a friend of mine that I work with, she's, like, saying that she's kind of leery of, like, doing palm reading, tarot, going to a psychic, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's not quite sure what her fear is. I mean, the fear of kind of hearing something that's not pleasant or whatever. Yeah. And I was kind of telling her about this, like, little journey that I'm on of just kind of discovering things, learning things, exploring. She's like, oh, my God, when you become a psychic, will you do my reading? (laughs) She's like, (laughs) she said that she would trust it if it came from me. Mm -hmm. But she didn't want it from anybody she didn't know of. So it was really funny. I don't know how I feel about that because I get it. Because she knows you and you're a friend. But wouldn't you want someone objective? Like, people go to right. me as a therapist. Cause I don't think I'm any different from anybody's friend, right? Yeah. But being an objective party, I'm not attached. I'm yeah. not um, going to change my words so I can make my friend feel better, for instance, yeah. right? And that's why, ethically, in our field, we don't treat families and friends because we can't be objective enough. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. And so, I get that she trusts and loves you clearly, um, but I don't. I don't know. Yeah, you know, because sometimes we want to like soften it for our friends, right? Or, you know, out of the goodness of our hearts, we just we just you know maybe don't want to give them the bad news. Uh huh. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I agree. And do you feel like you could be objective enough? 
God. I think I could be. But you know, there's something interesting. There's this one medium. Her name's Erin Cube. And I've been following her a little bit. And she talks about how when you're in the business of, of being a medium, your objective, your your sole objective should be to bring healing and light and love to a person. So giving a reading where it's all doom and gloom isn't exactly... She, she seems to think that that's kind of outside of what a medium is for. And I don't even know, like, I'm curious if mediums even get that kind of stuff. Unless they're really picking up on something like, oh my gosh, something completely catastrophic is going to happen. And they're giving you this information because it's to protect you. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But it seems like from what I've been seeing, most readings are of a positive nature. It's okay. something that's more encouraging or supporting or it's like, you know, if I was doing a reading for you and you don't tell me something about you, let's just say, I don't know, something's on your heart and I get that feeling that's on your heart or I get that thing that's on your heart. And I tell you, too, you've been thinking about a certain opportunity that you're not sure if you want to pursue. Do it. This is going to be good for you or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, it seems like readings are always kind of along the lines of 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 positivity and healing, mm-hmm. you know, um, so kind of like therapy. Exactly. Right. Like you wouldn't necessarily as a therapist, like you wouldn't you're, you're looking at, OK, what's going to bring healing to this person or clarity, but you're not going to sit there and give doom and gloom projections you know you're gonna die if you I don't know I don't know like yeah it's kind of like therapy and so that's sort of what I've been getting from it um the caveat when it comes to doom and gloom in how I practice therapy is I do I like that word caveat (laughs) (laughs) so French huh it is so French okay anyway sorry (laughs) (laughs) is I look at patterns, right? I always tell clients, hmm, okay, this has shown up multiple times. Mm -hmm. Once or twice, coincidence. Three times or more, there's a pattern here. Mm -hmm. And I will do an exercise, I call it play it forward. Something that I just titled myself, and it's like, okay, let's look at this pattern here. Now let's play it forward. Uh, The one that comes to my mind, it seems to be a theme that's going on is, more so for women than for men is this thing I call approval addiction, right? Feeling like we walk around the world for validation Mm -hmm. um, from men or from our peers or from higher-ups and so on and so forth. So let's look at that. Now, this has been occurring multiple times in all these different areas, these different arenas. And then I go, let's play it forward now. Mm -hmm. Let's imagine you're in a situation, whether it's work or maybe even with a future partner, are you performing for their approval? Mm. Is it going against your most authentic nature? Are you still performing on this script, mm-hmm. the script of wanting approval? That's the gloom and doom, so to say. Sure. But yep. it's more of like, okay, this is how it can play out. Mm-hmm. And you have a choice. Because prior to awareness of it, you're not responsible. Mm-hmm. But once you're aware and if you choose to engage in that behavior, you have to take completely 100% full responsibility yep. for it. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good. Absolutely. I like that. 
And so I guess that's the kind of gloom and doom that I do in therapy. It's not about yeah. necessarily about positivity. Yeah. It's about let's look at it. Yeah. Now that you're aware, how do you want to choose? Right. At the end of the day, you have that choice, not yeah. me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, the more readings that I see or that I'm exposed to, they all sort of... Um, Kind of come from from very very neutral to positive spaces. I haven't. It's really interesting because I feel like it would be really interesting to see or witness a medium who could sort of read a person's mail, so to speak. Which is, I'm interacting with you and I'm sensing something that is sort of um, broken, unhealed or dark or whatever in you. Right. And kind of calling that out, Mm -hmm. but then attaching that to, uh, an encouragement for healing. And I think that would be really interesting. And I'm sure that that exists. Um, I met somebody a long time ago who could kind of do that stuff, but he was very, um, he could see something unsavory in a person or something unsavory attached to a person. Um, but then he would always follow that up with, you know, prayer and encouragement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I thought that was pretty interesting. So, yeah. listen, doom and gloom ain't bad. <laughs> no, I as long think- as that doom and gloom comes with some hope, right? Exactly. And that's the, that's mm-hmm. the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I think that as healers, what we do bring... To our clients, whether it's through the psychotherapy realm or through the spiritual realm, is hope. Yeah. You know, hope that you can change your behaviors. If you see the pattern, you're aware of it. You get to choose. Yeah. And that's the hopefulness in in you self-actualizing, right? Yeah. Well, same thing in your spiritual work. It is about, hey, this is not all doom and gloom. Yep. There is still hopefulness here. This reminds me, just like you were saying, having the option to choose, right? That that is the hope. There's this author. His his name is Jocko Willink. Pretty cool name. <laughs> he makes, he writes like, well, he writes a lot of stuff, but he writes these children's books that are super, um, oh God, I don't, I don't even know how to describe them. They're so cool. Um, some of the children's books follow this kind of wimpy kid named Mark, and he basically gets shown the way of the warrior kid um, (laughs) by his uncle Jake, who's like a Navy SEAL. And Mm -hmm. it's really cool. Uncle Jake just kind of toughens him up and and teaches him all these different types of virtues Mm -hmm. and allows Mark to kind of see uh, areas of growth and opportunity in all of his struggles. Yeah. Excellent, excellent children's books. I highly recommend them. But anyway... There's a line that's always in the book when Uncle Jake is interacting with Mark, and I one or the other will say it, and it's discipline equals freedom. Mm. And I think that that's really interesting because when you look at how we apply discipline in different areas, it does equal freedom. So it's like the person who is confronted with toxic patterns within themselves, if they have the discipline to address those patterns and to choose an alternate path, that is the path to freedom. You become free from those toxic patterns. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I actually really like that a lot. Discipline equals Mm -hmm. freedom. Like you don't usually equate those two, but when it comes to human nature (laughs) um, or behaviors, 
that makes so much sense to me. Like, I think that's just amazing. So it makes a lot of sense to me too. You know, where what I was saying was. Once you're aware, right, mm-hmm. you get to choose differently, but also once you're aware, however you choose, you take full responsibility for it. Yeah. People who aren't disciplined, they don't want to take responsibility. Yeah. Therefore, they'll blame it on the world, the environment, other people. Yeah. But someone who is disciplined is saying, hey, I made that choice. I take full responsibility and therefore I create the freedom for myself. That's right. I think discipline in this case, to me, equates to responsibility. Mm, I like that. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. Yeah. That's an awesome author. I love that. And <laughs> He's so great. You, all- should, you should read his books. <laughs> Even though they're for children, they're so good. They're actually really good. I mean, you learn things just at, like as an adult reading it. Like, for instance, discipline equals freedom. Like, that's such a mature theme Uh, to even promote with children, but the way that he does it through these very relatable situations for kids, I think it's so cool. Mm -hmm. What I love even more is he, it sounds like it's, you said in every single book or every single story, right? Yeah. Just like we are patterns, Mm -hmm. the iterative process of it, you know, maybe the first one you're like, okay, discipline equals freedom, but it showed up again Mm -hmm. and again and again. And it, it really gets ingrained inside of you inside of the the child you're reading it to yeah and that becomes a mantra yes you know sometimes the the best interventions i believe for my clients is for them to create a mantra for themselves Mm -hmm. it really is simple yeah but it's the the most powerful interventions are actually the most simple it's not let's try this let's not let's try that and you know over a decade of practice i've i have found that the most um, powerful interventions are actually very simple. They have to yes. be simple because yes. they have to be doable. Yep. Yep. I agree. Mantras are super powerful, which I'm learning recently. Um, sometimes simply just telling yourself, I, oh, it was so interesting. When we were in Pismo, we, we met this girl who was the owner of this shop and she was like, she was so First of all, beautiful. Oh, my God. Um, she was so gorgeous. It was funny because when we left, I told I told my girlfriend, I'm like, man, lucky is the man that gets to sleep with that chick. Like she's she was she was so gorgeous, but she was she was so down to earth. And she just talked to me and my girlfriend for like must have been about 20 minutes straight. She was just kind of going on about all these things that she was learning about herself and life and it was really kind of serendipitous but um one of the things that she was saying was how she would tell herself you are not afraid you will be okay you are not afraid you will be okay and she would repeat that to herself um before you know going into like a crazy work situation or um I don't know, things were kind of stressful for her this year. You're not afraid. You will be okay. And that was what she kept telling herself to kind of get through the challenges of this year. And she's like, and you know what I realized? I am okay. And I'm not afraid. And <laughs> and so it was really interesting. So sometimes it is those, those simple things you repeat to yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you hear about like women who or men um, who are struggling with shit self-esteem and they'll put like post-it notes yeah. on their mirror, yes. right? And repeat those things to themselves. It really 
works. Mm-hmm. It really does. Yeah. So if that small voice of telling yourself something simple is that effective, imagine the impact of telling yourself something negative on a regular basis. And that is what people do, right? Everyone, yeah. I think everybody has like that small little two-inch man or woman on their shoulders that's kind of telling them you're not good enough, yeah. you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough. And it's, you know, how do we build this other mm-hmm. two-inch, three-inch man or woman on our shoulders to tell ourselves yeah. that you are, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I believe it's Dove, the company, mm-hmm. who did a commercial on that, on self-esteem. Mm. And it is to hear women saying these things about themselves over and over and over again. And then I believe it's like an actor who goes and repeats it. And they get to see how toxic the negativity is. Oh, wow. Um, and it was so beautiful. Like, I really love, you know, that the Dove Company and what it stands for. I think they did another one. It was like a whole series. They're so cool. Hmm. Um, on women describing themselves and like having like a sketch artist draw it. Mm-hmm. And then a friend would go in and describe them and draw it. And it was so interesting because the friend who described them and the sketch artist drawing it out was actually even more accurate Mm. to the person than the person describing themselves. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. It was very cool. Hmm. It is fascinating because, yes, we do have to combat that. Yep. Daily. Everybody. How we see ourselves is almost never very accurate to who we are, right? Even though we're in our bodies every single day, um, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for like how magnificent we are or how beautiful Mm -hmm. we are or how handsome we are, how strong we are. Mm -hmm. We don't give ourselves enough credit at all um, due to whatever messages we've gotten along the way throughout life. And Mm so... You know, it's interesting too. One of my biggest, um, one of my biggest fears or biggest negative things that I tell myself that I'm always thinking of is that I'm one, not a good friend, and two, that I'm very negative and harsh. Hmm. And it's funny because, like, this weekend when I was with my girlfriend, she, to me, is, like, the embodiment of positivity and love. Like, she, like if I could be the way that she is, like, that's my, that would be my inspiration. But I almost sometimes feel like I'm very harsh and my tone can be harsh and uh, I'm very stern and I tend to have a negative disposition and I'm not a great friend. Like, these are the things that I believe about myself and so I'll over the weekend, like I was really worried that I would come off that way to this good, positive, sweet person. Mm -hmm. And after the weekend, you know, we sent each other text messages and she was just like, you were such a wonderful travel companion and you were so fun and, you know, just all these like really lovely compliments. And I was really taken back by that. And I was like, wow, I'm surprised she felt that way. (laughs) Um, So it is just really interesting. Yeah. In I primarily practice cognitive behavioral therapy, which is our thoughts, how we think about ourselves, inform our feelings, inform mm-hmm. our behaviors, and, you know, any combination of that triad. So if, you know, your negative thought is, you know, I'm not a good friend, well, you're probably feeling insecure, mm-hmm. um, maybe even a little bit irritated with yourself or angry. Mm-hmm. 
um, maybe even a little bit inferior, maybe possibly even lonely. And so how does that, you know, make you interact in the world? Maybe you, some people, they just give up and withdraw. Other people work even harder to be nicer or kinder or more inclusive. Mm -hmm. But it's because sometimes it is the start of that, the thought process, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the techniques, which if I was working with you and that kind of thing is, is examine the evidence, right? So you tell yourself all these things. For instance, I'm a terrible friend is the negative thought. Examining the evidence is imagining you're in a court of law and there's... My place. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm already loving this scenario. Okay. And I believe it's like there's a plaintiff and then the other one's defendant, right? So the way I set it up, it's kind of like a T-chart on one side is what's the evidence for that statement? Oh, mm -hmm. right. Yep. Yep. And the other side is you also get to be the defendant. What's the evidence against? Mm Mm-hmm. And once you can go ahead and compile and argue both sides, looking at the evidence, what would it prove? Because in your head, that thought feels so true. Yeah. But the evidence, based on what you're saying, your friend is saying you're a wonderful travel companion. You know, you guys survived the weekend with no hitch. You guys had a lot of memories, Mm -hmm. et cetera, so on and so forth, which really disproves that negative thought in your head. Mm. True that. <laughs> because, yeah. because sometimes, yeah. yeah, we get so lost in the feeling, it feels so negative, right? Mm-hmm. But the logical side is looking at the evidence. Mm-hmm. Love um, that. And there's, you know, that's a, that's a logic-based Which technique. Which I love. Right? There's, about it. there's so many other ones. There's like the hidden emotion. Maybe it comes from earlier upbringing, right? Statements from our parents or some mm-hmm. significant people in our life that have told us that. And so we've you know, ingrained it. There's other, um, we call it truth-based techniques. There's, there's so many different realms in which we can explore this, but that's just a a simple, what's a truth-based technique? What does that mean? Truth-based technique, uh, for instance, would be like a Socratic method. You know, we know big words today. First we had caveat, then we had (laughs) something else. And then there's Socratic. (laughs) So obviously I've had too much wine for this. (laughs) You know, we know about um, Socrates, right? Socrates, the philosophy yeah. and, you know, his <laughs> disciple Plato who wrote, you know, the their conversation that we had. But it, Socrates and the Socratic method is about asking questions to get to the bottom of it, to get to the truth of it. And Do you ask those questions to the other person or to yourself? I asked, I, you know, you can ask it to yourself, but as a therapist, I'm asking it to the, to the client, right? Okay. And the philosophy behind that is, Socrates went into all of his interactions with a very pure thought is that I don't know anything. Mm. I'm not drawn one way or or another. There's no right or wrong. I actually just want to get to the truth and the bottom of this. Oh, I love it. And so I'm going to converse in conversation with you so I can get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Yep. You know, and it's like neutrality within in search of the truth. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, that. that's a, you know, an example of a truth based technique. Or mm-hmm. My favorite ones are exposure, like people who want to who have social anxiety. They want to learn like flirting or, <laughs> or how to interview. Yeah. Um, Come those, see me for that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. those, are, those are my favorite ones, yeah, you know, because yeah. I get to go out of the office and kind of play. But that's fine. Be a therapist, mm-hmm. you know, but we have this like crazy setup, but before time, like in head, ahead of time, if like, you know, 
people know me or whatever it is like who am I because of confidentiality and so on and so forth but yeah Mm -hmm. there's a lot of you know different ways to tackle our negative thinking yeah you know that seems to me like that could serve as as almost I mean I guess so long as you don't succumb to the idea of of imposter syndrome but but that you're always allowing yourself to remain humble like I'm not I'm not the best. I have. I always have much to learn. Yes. Right. That mm-hmm. always kind of keeps you on. It keeps you as a student of life, yeah. and that does make you better and smarter and more capable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though you already are smart and capable and amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. And yeah. So I mean, we all have our vulnerabilities. Yeah. And I think, based on my work. And based on the research, I think the most common negative thoughts, so all of those who are listening out there, realize you're not alone. And that most common thought is, I'm not good enough. Hmm. Not a good enough mother, father, son, daughter, doctor, hmm. executive, CEO. Very incredibly common. Why is that? Is that that's like too complicated of like an answer, huh? Like, because everybody has so many different experiences. Exactly. You know, yeah. uh, I'm sure some of it's nature, some of it's nurture, and a lot of it could be just growing up, being with peers, our own competitive spirits, comparing ourselves to other people around us, our parents, so on and so forth. I mean, it is a very complicated answer. It's hmm. very personalized. Yeah. To each individual, but it's one of the most common themes that's interesting mm-hmm. that is i mean other than feeling like i'm not a great friend but the, but the thing is is like my whole not being a good friend thing i feel like is mostly rooted in the fact that i'm so introverted and i don't reach out to people and also um even though i have siblings i was mostly raised as an only child i mean i i my brother was there for some portion of time but I'd had kind of an only child experience in middle school and high school, and I'm not used to sharing, and I'm not used to thinking of people, um, in, in, not used to thinking of people in terms of doing for others, you know, um, all the time. Like, it's so odd. I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it because, like, on the one hand, I love hosting, right? Like, I always you love, do, right? Like, I love hosting. And I'm a really good host. But then, like, when people's birthdays roll around, I always forget somebody's birthday. Oh my God, your birthday's coming up, by the way. Yes. <laughs> See, like, I don't think of birthdays and birthday gifts and anniversary gifts, and I don't really text and I don't really call. Um, but it doesn't make that person less special to me, you know? Like, they're still... And then I have, like, friends who are so good about reaching out and so thoughtful with gifts, like you. And I and, and then I'm like, well, goddamn, now I'm a bad friend. <laughs> so, like, those... I don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure even what my strengths are as a friend, but I definitely know what my weaknesses are, and that sucks. But remember, awareness means you get to take responsibility. Now that you're aware, you know, you get to choose differently or, you know, do what it is that you need to do. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a little bit different. I actually don't reach out or call because I had the opposite experience where I had so many siblings. But for me, it's about energy. Like, I feel like it takes so much energy to do all these things and when it comes it does. and when it comes to gifts even on birthdays and stuff like that it doesn't feel as genuine as like you know oh i thought of you hey here here it is right it's just whatever comes 
in that moment, even if it's earlier, a little bit later, not so specifically on a special holiday. But for me, it's really just about energy. And I think I, I have so little to give outside of uh, my work and for myself or my family and very interesting story. And it's, it's really served me years ago. I used to work in an alcohol and other drugs clinic and I didn't work directly with this client, but we ran a lot of group therapy. Oh gosh. And all of my colleagues were crying Ugh. and really tearful. And I felt like as a good colleague, I should go and com- comfort, comfort them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, working with my, um, my personal therapist, you know, he told me that, well, you have to give to yourself and you have to give to your clients and for your family, if you don't have the capacity, it's not your responsibility to take on even more mm-hmm. because it would do a disservice to the clients that you've agreed to take on, the ones that you've agreed to help. And it's, you know, if they do have a problem, they need to go find it themselves. Mm-hmm. You can't keep putting yourself out there because there's only so much energy and you can be depleted. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people who... And I think more women so than men who feel like, you know, we have to serve, we have to serve it all. And I think more people like myself being in our field, we feel like, oh, we have to be so compassionate. We have endless capacity to be compassionate and yeah. loving and giving. But that has served me because when I remind myself like, oh, I should reach out to one more person. I'm like, the truth is I have a full caseload. I have yeah. some clients that are really, really high needs. I don't have any more. Right. And... I give myself permission to not do that. Yeah, yeah, and it may that's come good. Up, and it may come across as being a bad friend, but I just simply yeah. don't have that to give. You've always been a good friend to me, because <laughs> you're special. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the I'm that small percent that mm-hmm. gets the energy. <laughs> yeah, but I think with you and I, we've talked about in friendship dynamics, it's effortless. That's right. Yeah, for sure. I still wish I could remember your birthday, though. I never. <laughs> Oh, snap. You know, I'll never forget one time. So my dad, he had the most amazing stories ever. I mean, my dad could tell. So, I mean, the, the stuff that he's been through was just absolutely insane. And he'd have the best stories uh, of heroism and of fear and fright and threat to life and you know, excitement and adrenaline and all these cool things mm-hmm. between his career in the Navy and then just also, you know, working with uh, alligators and then being a fisherman. I mean, he just, he had a lot of cool stories. <laughs> I asked him one time, I'm like, Dad, how come you don't go out more? Because he, he was a homebody to the oof degree. Like, he did not like to leave his property Um, And he crafted his property or his property in such a way that he didn't have to leave. I mean, he had this massive garden wrapped around the house and he had his man cave that he built and all his fun toys and things were in there. And uh, yeah, I mean, he just didn't really go out much and he didn't like to be around people. And I asked him why. And I was really shocked to hear, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm shy or whatever. But he was like. Well, baby girl, I'm just, I don't know. I just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And he, and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you know how I am. I'll go out and start talking to people and 
all of a sudden they're calling me an asshole or, you know, I'm hurting somebody's feelings because I'm too harsh. And it's just really interesting. One, that took me by surprise because I feel that way about myself, that I, I, I feel like I'm harsh and that I'm an asshole. Um, and so that really guides who and how much I interact mm -hmm. with. Um, but it's interesting that my dad also felt the same way. And he really kind of had a hermit kind of life because of that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it was a life that he, he enjoyed. I mean, he was very happy in his little hermit life. But, but that he always felt that way. That he always, you know, who told him that? Like, where did he learn that? Mm -hmm. Where did he learn that he was an asshole or that he was offensive to people? Like, right. who? what were the things that kept being said to him? Right. Um, so he's probably had some, you know, messaging. In right. His and whoever you people are, come see me. Because <laughs> <laughs> my dad was sweet. <laughs> he had good stories, damn it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like there was some kind of messaging there, right? Like mm -hmm. my experience of him was not that. Right. Not that at all. See, the evidence proves otherwise, mm -hmm. right? But somehow we believe that so much more. And, you know, the work is how do we quiet that down? How do we quiet that voice down? Mm -hmm. Some of you who are listening might be too young and maybe, you know, in the world of Spotify and Pandora, you don't know what a CD is. <laughs> <laughs> but oh no are we that old <laughs> <laughs> but this metaphor that I use at, at work um, is the idea that from the day you're born to maybe the day before you stepped into therapy for instance is there's been this burning of this soundtrack in your life and some of that soundtrack might be you know any version of you're not good enough right or you're hurting other people's feelings and it's been burning Oh, but you have to explain what burning means. Well, burning it's is... It's imprinting yeah, on the device. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so we all have burnt that soundtrack, whether it's through family, through friends, through peers in life, our experiences in life. And I think my work is how do we take off that CD and burn a new soundtrack of mm -hmm. your life? Mm -hmm. And you can't... We don't really get rid of the old soundtrack per se right because that's kind of what made us who we are mm -hmm. but the work is hopefully we quiet down that old soundtrack and make this new soundtrack that we're trying to have for our lives ring even louder and even true and mm -hmm. it's not that the old soundtrack is no longer existent it'll come up mm -hmm. but hopefully less mm -hmm. or quieter or it doesn't impact our lives as much and this new soundtrack that's more hopeful gets to be the one that is played so often that it becomes like breathing yeah yeah that's so good it's like you know i've talked about her before iyangla van zant she talks about dominant negative thought patterns and the only way to get rid of them and ultimately change your actions what you do and how you experience things is well there's a lot of ways actually to to address it but but one of the things that you do have to do is like a repetitiveness of a new thought pattern. Yep. And so, um, you know, 
every now and then that dominant negative thought pattern is going to crop up, you know, because it is there. It is it is sort of a part of you. It is it's something you've experienced that you've heard and that you spent a lifetime reacting to. Mm-hmm. So it is not reasonable to think you'll never experience it again. Absolutely. Uh huh. But creating new thought patterns produces new behaviors yes. and new patterns. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. yeah. At the end of our work together, I always tell clients, what are the chances you're going to relapse into those thought patterns? So what do you think? Ooh, for me, being a shit friend yeah, or what being is, harsh, what, is what the, are my chances? What are your chances of relapse? Probably tomorrow I'll have the thought. So is that 100%? <laughs> I would say so, yeah. I'd and say that's so. exactly accurate. Yeah. The ch- and I tell clients at the end of this work, you're going to relapse 100% of the time. <laughs> but That's now funny. you have the skills and tools on right. how to get yourself out instead of being stuck so deeply and keep digging in that ditch. Mm-hmm. It'll be a jump, a hop, and a skip that you can get up. Mm, That's true. That's right. It's not going to feel like quicksand. Yeah. 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 And I think that's what it is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That is, I think, the goal to to healing, right? I think the idea of healing, going back to what we were talking about at the, at the very beginning of this and, you know, a medium's job and a therapist's job is to facilitate solution and healing. So solution and healing doesn't always look like, I'll never think this way again, mm-hmm. but it's now I have the tools to get myself out of thinking this way. Um, and it doesn't. Your those thoughts aren't quicksand, but now it's like you said, it's a hop and a, a hop and a skip and a jump <laughs> into a different direction. Absolutely. Yep. And because it's almost an hour long, we should be hopping, skipping, and jumping. All right. <laughs> it's been that long. I love it. We really enjoyed talking to you today, um, and hopefully it was a reprieve. Mm -hmm. Again, you can find us on social media, on Instagram at mental underscore recess, or also on Facebook and joining our mental recess community. Without further ado, we hope to see you in the next episode. Ciao.